throughout the uh, now almost 50 years of 48 years that we've been living in democracy, uh, we have repeatedly committed to uh, what can still be called the welfare state. Portugal has been run by social democrats, be centre-left or centre-right, for most of the past 48 years. And there is a central commitment to the existence of the welfare state. Now, what, what, what does that comprise? We take for granted that it is a universal right of every person living in Portugal, not only the Portuguese, you know, uh, foreigners living here, or foreigners coming to Portugal and choosing to live in Portugal, or uh, citizens of the European Union, if they come here, they will have access to the very same services that are now being provided for little sum, a little sum or very little to the Portuguese people. E bem-vindo! Welcome to The Simple Life, an insider's perspective into Portugal. We already know about Portugal's amazing weather, food and people. In this podcast we go deeper and meet the real people who make this country so wonderful. Dylan, who has made his life in Portugal, shares an insider's perspective into what makes Portugal the unique, beautiful and amazing country that it is. Join him and his guests every week as they shed some light on the incredible people, culture, history and lifestyle that makes Portugal so appealing. A country where everyone feels like they belong. This podcast is sponsored by Portugal Realty. Welcome to The Simple Life. On this week's episode, I'm joined by repeat guest Ricardo Monteiro. We discuss, amongst other things, sardines, St. Anthony, village parties, Imi, and why we pay taxes in Portugal. Welcome back, or welcome to another episode of Portugal The Simple Life. You'll recognize this face of mine, Ricardo's. Uh, it's not a Proud of Portugal episode, it's something a little bit different, but Ricardo, thank you and welcome back. Thank you very much for having me again. How welcome was you? You were away recently, how was it? Uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm now in, in Pasta Acre, so where I actually live, and we're going through San Antonio, as you know, which is uh, part of our very long uh, summer fest of uh, celebrating our, our popular, what we call popular saints, which are San Antonio of Lisbon, which most people know, or who most people know as San Antonio of Padua, actually. Uh, that's one and the same saint. Uh, so he was born in Lisbon, uh, but he was made the doctor of the church in Padua, where he actually died. Okay, oh. and uh, so abroad, uh, San Antonio is not recognized as being a Portuguese from Lisbon, who he was. And um, so after San Antonio, there is São Pedro, and then there is uh, Saint John. Okay, São João. Uh, yeah, and that goes up to the twenty fourth of. Um, June and Saint Jean is mostly an Oporto thing. Um, yeah, why is that? Why is like Saint Antonio mostly a Lisbon thing? And is it because of where he's from? Uh, well, that's because where he was from, and because yeah. it's a celebrated Lisbon, Lisbon saint. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's always been associated with the history of Lisbon, and mm. there is the church of uh, Saint Antonio, which which was built just next door, I believe, to the place where he was born. So, uh, um, and it's still there, standing beautiful, Barocco and and. and Baroque and all that, so it's uh, it, it's worth a visit. Actually, much nicer than the 
the cathedral, which stands right next to it, although the cathedral is much older and built on top of synagogues and, and mosques and stuff like that, you know, like a lot of things in Portugal. So how many, how many sardines have you eaten in the last couple of days? I, I don't eat any sardines. I'm a fake Portuguese. Oh, you don't sardines. do the sardine thing. <laughs> My wife loves sardines and she drags me to, you know, have sardines and she has, has the sardines and she absolutely loves them. And I just hate, you know, just the sheer smell of them. <laughs> but anyway, a lot of people do like sardines. Yes. Yeah. It just seems like it's the right thing to do at this time of the year. But uh, yeah, but yeah I, I, I've, I've eaten enough for the two of us. So we're good. Good. Have you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so you're, you're a sardine lover. I didn't know that. I, I wouldn't say I'm a sardine lover, but um, I'll I'll eat them when the when the when the mood is right. right. You know, and the mood is good at the moment. So. In between two loaves of bread, no. Uh, one on top of one. On top of one. Oh, yes, yeah. that's the proper way of doing. It. Yeah, with you know the juices go down, and yeah. you can either do normal bread or the or the milu. I, I, just, I just can't understand how you guys like that. I mean, it's just... Uh, it's, I had to learn. I, I used to get annoyed because it takes such a long time because you've got to take the sardine out of the bones. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not good for an impatient eat eater. Some people actually eat the bones with them too, which is the, 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 yeah. the hands. And stuff. Oh, it's, it's just too much yeah. for me. But I, I mean, can't do the bones. I can't, do the, can't bones. do the bones. No, anyway. no, 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 no. So what are we here to talk about today? We like, are here to talk about... Um, there's uh, something that really surprises people about Portugal um, uh, when they come here is, is, our, is our social system. Uh, they come here, they get quite surprised that we have uh, a very good medical system, quite a robust, very robust medical system, if you include the hospitals and the medical centers in all the little villages. Mm-hmm. Um, our social system, you know, a lot of people make the comment, or we don't see a lot of homeless people in Portugal, well, that's because they get looked after. Yeah. And uh, and uh, our education system, amongst other things. Um, so I just want to talk about how that came about um, and why we have um, these these robust um, systems that are here for for everybody. Okay, so that, let me take back you to 1974 before we <coughs> before democracy came about in Portugal. As you know, you will live through a very, through a very long period of dictatorship, and uh, Antonio Salazar. Uh, I believe a name uh, that will ring a bell to a lot of people, actually ruled over Portugal for about, well, his regime ruled over Portugal for about 48 years. Now, back then, um, it, it was um, a system by which uh, some people had the right and access to a certain number of services and some others did not, okay? So uh, take healthcare, for instance. You had to pay for healthcare before uh, uh 1974, you know, when the revolution took place. Now, that does not mean that very poor people were not taken care of, but that was done by the Misericordias, which is a private uh, social and healthcare system that still exists, by the way, the mm-hmm. oldest in the world. It was found, uh, founded back in the, I believe, the 15th century by the Queen Leonor of Aviz, of Portugal. And that, that is actually the oldest uh, social security system in the world and, and still going strong, as you know. Um, so, but, you know, the state was actually out of a certain number of services that already in, in most of the European countries, uh, those services were already being provided by the state and taking, taken as granted and as rights by the peoples of those countries, uh, say in France, which was among the first, in the UK, Belgium, the Netherlands, uh, Germany, and also in Portugal and Spain, okay, where these services were not uh, available to the majority of the population. 
okay? What were these services? Now, you could go to school and have school for free for the first four years of schooling, okay? Okay. So that was provided by the state. But as you progressed in your studies, you had to start paying. Not a lot, I must say. A, a very small sum. But because the country was so poor, most uh, people actually dropped out of school very, very early on because they had to join their families in whatever small businesses they had, okay, be it, I don't know, a cafe, a grocery shop, or just, you know, tending the fields. So that's why they dropped out of school. It was not that it was paid for. So it was there. The, the, the state actually, uh, you know, gave you the possibility to study. There were scholarships that were extended back then, but because the country was so poor, people were not given the, the, the possibility to actually uh, study and, you know, take their studies to the very end. So uh, because of the, the poverty of the country back then and because some of the services were not provided by the state, but by private services that were not very efficient or not very well funded to do it, the, when we came to uh, April 1974, there were a lot of things that, you know, the social state as the welfare state, if you want, uh, that we take for granted today were simply not available. So in 1974, a, a change started happening in the country that, you know, uh, riches were not to be uh, simply uh, uh, accumulated by the state, which was, by the way, a very rich state. When the revolution took place, Portugal had the fourth largest gold bullion reserves in the world. I, think, I don't know if you... My goodness. Yeah, so it was not... And by the way, in the scudo was one of the strongest currencies in the world as well, because, of course, it was supported by the colonies and by all that gold stacked up in the... the but, but the people in general quite poor. But, so we, we had a rich state and a poor people, okay? So that was, the let's say, the main decision that was taken collectively in successive elections that took place after uh, 74, which was we don't need to stack, stack up gold and money in the bank. What we need is to, you know, put it to good use and, and distribute that, that kind of, of, of uh, accumulated wealth uh, through the population. So I cannot tell you that, you know, the revolution was, of course, a, a turning point, but I cannot tell you that this, this decision was taken in one day. It was something that we progressively came to, okay? And with that came taxes, because what I must tell you too is that before the revolution, very little taxes were paid by people. Well, because they were poor and had no money and, and did not reach the threshold to, to pay taxes, but also uh, because quite simply it was a choice of the state not to collect taxes. And by doing that, also keep everyone kind of calm and lying down and accepting whatever was imposed on them. So what I'm describing to you is just the general path that any country that goes from a dictatorship to a democracy actually goes through. Because usually democracy does come with redistribution of wealth which is exactly what happened, okay? So throughout the uh, now almost 50 years of 48 years that we've been living in democracy, uh, we have repeatedly committed to uh, what can still be called the welfare state. Portugal has been run by social democrats, be center-left or center-right for most of the past 48 years. And there is a central commitment to the existence of the welfare state. Now, what, what, what does that comprise? 
We take for granted that it is a universal right of every person living in Portugal, not only the Portuguese, you know, uh, foreigners living here, uh, foreigners coming to Portugal and choosing to live in Portugal, or uh, citizens of the European Union, if they come here, they will have access to the very same services that are now being provided for little sum, a little sum or very little to the Portuguese people. So we committed to have a certain number of services that should be there and should be provided by the state. What are those services? Very easily, it's free universal health care. Okay. So in Portugal, no matter how serious your illness, the state will take care of you. And even if it's, say, it's an extremely expensive, let's say, uh, uh, cancer uh, uh, that you've got, you know, the state will take care of you and will take care of you to the very last day. And by the way, I've witnessed this happening with people in my family, you know, uh, a lot of people live to very old ages these days. And, and you know, as the older you get, the higher the probability that you will get cancer. I have seen people in my family die of cancer and being taken care of by the state and paying exactly nil for that. You know, um, uh, my wife has got a chronic, uh, a chronic disease that she cannot get rid of, uh, get rid of, and the state simply takes care of it. You know, all of her medicine is paid by the state. Okay, so that's one set of things. You know, universal free healthcare. Yeah, that's I can I can attest to that as well. I I, I was sick, very very sick in 2019. I spent five months in Santa Maria. Yeah. Uh, with very, very expensive treatment, dialysis on a dialysis machine machine every single day for five months. And I didn't pay a cent. And I wasn't even a citizen at that stage. I was a resident. I was just you a resident. resident. Yeah. And phenomenal. Just amazing. So, so there you go. Now, I, I, I should tell you, in order for you know, foreigners listening to you, when you go to a Portuguese hospital, it doesn't look like a five-star hotel, as most hospitals look, uh, look like in, say, the United States. But it'll be provided, it'll be free and democratic in the sense that your money, whether you have it or not, will not make the treatment that is being provided to you different from the guy on the bed next to you. Okay, so it's it's also equalitarian in the sense that every single human being is treated the same. Okay, that is the public system. So that's healthcare. That's one. That's thing. healthcare. The other, the other thing is education. Okay, let me just give you one number. In 1974, there were 90. We were about. 9 million people back then in 74, okay? And there were 90,000 people growing through the secondary and, th and tertiary um, um, uh, educational system, okay? Today, we're about 10 million, and at any given time, we've got more than 400,000 students being enrolled in the system. So it's more than a... a, four, a it, it's it, it's gone up by a factor of four even slightly more okay mm. and today uh, but it's not only a question of a lot of people having access to the system it is also the way that have been able to improve the quality of the system and again I'm, i think i've given you these numbers in in the product that's very right. thing, but take the year 2000 48 percent of the people uh, going through the educational system would drop out before they would reach the age of 14, okay? Now, so that's 48% of the people, okay? Now, that is last year, 2021, in the pandemic, okay, less than 8% of the people were dropping out of the system, 
before the age of not 14, before the age of 17 or 16, when they're supposed to end their second cycle uh, um, uh, studies. So not only have we been able to enroll more, also the quality of the education because they spend more time at school is going up. There's also another indicator, which is the PISA studies. There are PISA surveys that are carried around the world. Have you heard about PISA? Well, it's, they just measure PISA. It's, it's universally accepted as being the best gorge of how educational systems work in the world. Okay, And they just measure two things. How proficient students are in mathematics and their mother tongue. Okay, Mathematics and mother and Portugal now is above the, the OECD average. And if you take mother tongue and, and if you take mathematics, they then do it for all sorts of disciplines. But if you take just these two, for instance, they are above the average of say United States students. Wow. Okay. So, which means that the systems go in better quality, you know, and that it continues to improve. Now, if you listen to news in Portugal that will complain about the quality, about the best quality of health, healthcare being provided, and that, you know, there are some crowded, I don't know, uh, uh, classrooms somewhere in the country. I wish they were crowded, they're not, because there are simply not enough kids to go to school in Portugal. And the number of students, by the way, is declining because our fertility rate is so low. But so the thing is that both these systems, which are two fundamental pillars of democracy, you know, the right to a dignified and healthy life and the right to learn, you know, these two fundamental pillars of democracy are sustained by our taxes. Okay, our taxes. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Who, pay, who pays for that? That's Yeah, okay. So it's, it's paid for our, by, you know, taxes pay for these two things. And by the way, these two uh, uh, systems, the educational system and the, 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 what we call the SNS, the national healthcare system, are absorb like the vast majority of the, the, the government's budget every year, every year, okay? So uh, uh, so that you have an idea, 6% of our GDP, not of the budget, it's too much more than that, it's about 17 or 18% GDP of the budget, but 6% of our GDP consistently goes to healthcare, okay? And about the same to uh, slightly less to uh, the education system. So it's a lot of the money goes into that, a lot of the money that we pay uh, taxes for, okay? Um, now, we pay a lot of taxes, okay? Uh, the percentage of taxes, what they call the tax burden on Portuguese is quite high, and it has been increasing in the past few years, which means that we are paying more and more taxes, okay? Not only the taxes that you pay uh, when you do your your uh, IRS every year, you know your your direct direct taxes you pay, but also the taxes you pay when you buy I don't know gas or food or and you pay the VAT you know, or other taxes that are due on those products or services. Mm -hmm. So we do pay a lot of taxes. We still pay less taxes than the French. Again, a number, we are close to 39% of GDP being paid out in taxes, whereas the French are up at the hopping 53%, so that you understand um, there's still a long way to go until we reach that very high burden of taxes on imposed on a society. But still, you know, because we're poor, paying 39% on, on a small salary is much more than paying 53% on a big salary because mm -hmm. the money free end in your pocket is of course more in a country that pays that pays higher salaries. So 
it is true that relative to the money that we get from salaries and, and whatever economical activity you're in, we are a high tax country, okay? But again, that cascades down to society. And you know, if you go to the lower rank, ranks of society, a couple of things I would like to mention as examples of that money being put to good use, okay? I'll talk about homeless people and people with drug addiction, okay? Now, if you walk the streets of Lisbon today or the streets of, I'll give you an extreme example to Lisbon, which is San Francisco in California, okay? Rich country, right? okay? And the richest state in the, in the union in the state, which is California. Now, there is less than one hundredth less homeless people in Lisbon than in San Francisco, California, proportional to the population. Okay. What, one hundredth? Less in Portugal. So in Lisbon, I'm sorry. So for, for every one not, for every one homeless person in Lisbon, there's a hundred in, in San Francisco. There is a hundred in San Francisco. Jeez. Okay. Which is which is uh, you know it's a rough measure. It's may vary to ninety eight or hundred and two, but that's what it is. So it's absolutely appalling the situation there. But I, I've given you the worst possible example, which is San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. Like, by the way, LA is is the same. Okay? Mm-hmm. But if you take say uh, um, um, a city in in uh, Europe, you will find that Lisbon consistently ranks as one of the cities with the lowest, smallest uh, number of homeless people now. And even those that are homeless in Lisbon, and I'm not trying to make this sound better than it is because you do have homeless people, but in the case of Lisbon, and not because of the state, because in this particular case of Santa Casa de Misericordia de Lisboa, whom I talked about before, founded by the Queen Leonor, okay, they visit every homeless person on the streets of Lisbon every day. Mm-hmm. You know that. Mm-hmm. And they're not taking in, taken in because unfortunately, almost the entire the, almost all of these people also suffer from severe mental problems and illnesses. And they refuse to go mm-hmm. and sleep in shelter. Okay? And sleep in shelter. Okay. And they want to send it because most of them are paranoid and they think they, they, they will be taken prisoners and sent to places they don't want to be. Generally speaking, in Portugal, if you see a homeless person, it's because they want to be. Well, it, With, no, I'm sorry, you cannot say 100%. Best. 100%, but in terms of they, may, they might have a mental problem for, in but general. Yeah. Now, that problem is also... Uh, connected with the, with the problem of, of drug addiction in Portugal. Yeah. I think I've talked to you about this also before. Now, Portugal has got, since 2001, has got the most progressive drug laws in the world. By that meaning that to be a drug addict in Portugal is not a criminal behavior. To sell a small, or, or to have on oneself a small quantity of, of any drug, no matter how toxic that drug might be, if it is considered for personal use, it is not a crime. A drug addict in the Portuguese law is a person who is sick, needs and must be treated by the national healthcare system. Okay. So if you one day, and I invite you to do that, or anyone who doubts my word, uh, decide to take your car 
and just drive along the river uh, in between Lisbon and Expo 98. And you will see perhaps four or five methadone buses dispensing methadone to drug addicts who in a very disciplined way go there to get their, method, their, their free methadone. And they will do that and they will be provided with methadone provided that they are registered and that they know where they are so they can be treated and in a way followed by the system. Okay. Ever since that law was adopted, our HIV uh, incidence has declined so rapidly that it was almost miraculous. Okay. Street crime declined at the same rate. And people in prison are not in prison because they were caught doing drugs. They will be in the hospital, you know, they will not be in prison. And therefore, even though we do not invest a lot in prisons, our system does have a slight overpopulation. It's nothing compared with any other country in the world, in the world. Okay. So, and our prisons are just not, you know, they're just not, you know, they're not as they are in other countries. Unfortunately, drug bans where people just go and get, you know, even worse than, than they were when they came in. Uh, and who pays for that? Who pays for the methadone? Who pays for the system to actually have these people followed and treated and, and, and possibly reintegrated into society? Our taxes do, okay? And so, all of this contributes to, to why we have such a safe place. Why we have... Well, the whole thing is into interconnected. Peace of mind. You walk the street in the streets freely. It's, it's, the other day I was driving with a uh, Belgian... Uh, couple of friends of mine came to visit. And uh, so they were staying here and, and uh, we were driving late from Lisbon. It was about two o'clock in the morning. We had been out and um, we were driving in our car and all of a sudden we were driving through Algiers uh, oh. in the riverfront. And there were a couple of girls, you know, they were probably 17, 18, just walking about, normal girls, you know, absolutely normal girls. You, you look at them and say, you know, and I, you know, I just drove by. I didn't realize, you know, two girls, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, okay, fine. And a bit further, you know, another two girls were also w walking, probably going home. You know, and the guy who is Belgian, my name, and he said, you know, those two girls were, you know, out, out here in Lisbon, walking out by themselves. And I said, what? Yeah. Well, you know, and then I realized, oh yeah, my God. I mean, you come to these in Brussels. You can't do it in Brussels, you know, you can't do it in Brussels. And that's the absolute truth, you know, you can do it in Lisbon. No, I'm not saying it's 100% safe. It's never 100% safe, but it's safer than in other places that be, could be compared to Lisbon. So, yeah, I mean, um, th those are the good things of taxes. Now, let me take you to the dark side of taxes. Uh, um we have made Portugal a tax haven for uh, foreigners, okay? Now, if a French person decides, decides to retire in Portugal, as you possibly know, they will only pay 10% IRS on, on the pension they collect in France, okay? Whereas a Portuguese after, you know, can pay 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, depending on the amount of pension he collects, of retirement payment he collects. So, um, uh, now, is this the right thing to do? We are attracting these people because we need their money. They will pay IMI, which is, you know, the taxes they pay. Yeah, on we'll the get on to the IMI just now. Yeah. Okay. 
they will pay VAT on everything they buy. They will pay all of the other taxes that are indirect. They will just not pay taxes on their revenue. Okay. Is this fair to the Portuguese? Some people will contend it's not, you know. I say, well, I better have some added revenue on the system than not having it at all. And by the way, we're losing people, losing population. So if they decide to come, you know, uh, it's fine by me, you know, but that's just my, my, the way I look at it, you know, other people I'm sure will, will have a different opinion on this. And, and a lot of people within political parties, mostly to the left say that this is absolutely unfair that they should pay uh, whatever taxes the Portuguese pay on that. They're probably right, but you know, uh, they're there and the country has been all the better for it. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're welcome to come and just pay 10% on their, on their taxes, provided they pay all the other taxes, which they do, by the way. You know? Ricardo, another thing quickly, um, uh, where you see um, these services for older people where they go and they pick the old people up in the village, take them shopping, make sure they're okay. This is also all part of the, the care that the state provides. Yes. Uh, now, yes. again, it's it's a mix. Uh, sometimes it's provided by private enterprises that get subsidies from the state. So, okay, okay. some misericordias do get some subsidies from the state too, in order to carry out those services. Okay, so it is in a way uh, subcontracted to private entities. But one one simple example: if you are a pensioner and you must be taken into a home, a, a, a I don't know how do you call it in English. A residence. An old age home. Sorry? An old age home. If, if, if you take it to an old age home and you're there and say you're a pensioner and you get a small pension of, say, 500 euros, and it's going to cost you, because that's what it costs, about 2,000 euros to be taken care of in that one old age home. Well, the state will provide for the rest. Okay, you you will contribute with your pension, and the state will provide for the rest. So, in a way, it, that famous cradle to grave system kind of works in the country. Now, it's not perfect; could be better. A lot of waste. Da da da. We do pay a lot of taxes. Um, if you, in relation to the actual income we get, but uh, I think that I still think that all in all. Um, I would try to make the system less expensive, not on the money it spends, but on how it collects money, because there is some unfairness to it. Let me explain. If I'm a millionaire, okay, and I sell 10 millions worth of shares, 10 million euros worth of shares and make a 5 million profit, my taxes on that profit are going to be half of whatever my IRS, about 25%, okay? But if I only make 50,000 euros per year, I'm sorry, 100,000 euros per year, I will pay a marginal tax rate of almost 50%, okay? So the millionaire who trades in shares pays less tax than the guy who actually pays a salary, gets a salary in return for his work. So there is an imbalance there. Mm -hmm. okay? And th there is some unfairness into the system, yeah. must be corrected, not perfect. But saying that taxes are for nothing and just to fatten the state, well, it's false, as I've tried to exemplify here. Yeah. 
Okay, let's quickly, you, you brought up Emmy. This is something that, that people listening will have had some access to uh, for us Portuguese that are living here. We, we know about Emmy for a long time. What is Emmy? And again, what, is it, what does it contribute to? Okay, Emmy means Imposto Municipal Sobre Imóveis, which means a, a, a municipal tax on, uh, on buildings, okay? On, on, on buildings on estate, as, as, as it were. Okay, so it is actually about, I believe, in, in between two and three per thousand. So it's not it's not a very high tax, if I recall correctly. Please forgive yeah, me. Yeah, it very rarely will get above half a percent it's very of your property valuation. Uh, yeah, there you go. So that, that, yeah. I'm sorry, between 0. 0.2 and 0.3% over not uh, per that. So... That goes into the municipalities' budgets. Some municipalities now take care of a lot of the social services being provided. By the way, there is now a big confrontation in between the, the municipality of Oporto and the state because the, state, the central government has transferred the management of primary schools, for, so the first four years of schooling, onto municipalities. Okay. They, they also, the state has also transferred some of the, their tax revenue onto the municipalities so that they, they can care of that. Now, they say it's not enough. Whatever the shortfall is, is got to be made up by the taxes collected by the municipalities at a local level. And IMI is a local level. Uh, that's why it differs from municipality to municipality. It's a local level tax paid on the whatever uh, home you own in that, in that or piece of property you own on that particular municipality now it goes to fund everything because of course the streets are not the streets within a village or a town are not kept by the central government they're kept by the municipality okay and some of the services provided there like the ones i just talked to you about like old old people's homes like now primary schools some of those are also taken care and managed by the municipalities now so emi is a part of their local budget and a very important part of it so they couldn't probably make a proper living without without that money don't forget that they also actually look after whatever you know i don't know monuments exist within the within within the municipality they've got you know, and generally take care of sewage, <laughs> you know, providing water and all of that, even though you pay for the water. Uh, but some of that does come from uh, EMI, which is... Okay. So, so when people come and say, ah, oh, the beaches are so clean, the roads are so clean, oh, in the, the monuments in, are so well the, kept, this is EMI. In, in the case that there is a beach, which is a lot... <laughs> is it not EMI? It, 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 well, it's part of the budget. Okay, yeah, so, so it's, all yeah. taxes are put into a bag, and from that, you know, that amount, all the services are provided. So you can that say that indirectly, EMI does pay for cleaning up the beaches, whatever they, there is one. Yes, yes. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. So all of these things are contributing to, to the good and things that we speak, see around since, us. Since you speak of beaches which we also take for granted as being a free access in Portugal, because they are. Uh, beaches can never be privatized in Portugal. Yeah, Even if right. you have a, a property that is, I don't know, 10 kilometers long, the beach will still not belong to you. Of course, people will have to walk 10 kilometers around to get to the beach, but they can they can very annoyingly to those staying in that five-star hotel actually just camp in front of you because the beach is 
obviously public property and cannot be privatized. I now, love that. I love, try, that, the, try, try I love that. that the beach belongs to everybody. Of so. course. Try to do that in the Côte d'Azur or in any Italian beach and, and you'll see how expensive that'll cost you, how much that'll cost you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the parties that are happening right now, maybe that's uh, Imi contributes yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all of, the, all, of the, all of that is such... The village parties... That, it's it's paid by the municipalities, you know. It's paid by the municipalities, and uh, we didn't talk about that. But one of the big changes that happened after the revolution is that a lot of the power was actually devolved into the municipalities. In Portugal, there are only two levels of government: central government and municipalities. No regions, no nothing. Just two levels, mm -hmm. and a lot of the power has been throughout the years transferred to municipalities. Okay. Uh, so you know there are municipal municipal hospitals, by the way, paid by by municipalities themselves. So that happens too. The the centers so the, so the uh, you know the healthcare centers that provide some of them are actually run by the municipalities, managed by the municipalities. So uh, yeah, a lot of the power has been devolved to them, and and uh, perhaps. It, that has been one of the things that has changed the landscape the most because, you know, there's local mayors are so close to their constituents that in a way they are accountable to them. And that kind of makes for a better public service. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, last question, um, because this is the simple life, how does paying taxes contribute to a simple life in Portugal? Well, it's a worry-free life. I mean, the one thing I've never, as you know, I've worked most of my life outside of Portugal. You know, I, I work for a multinational, you know, and, and uh, coming back home was coming back to a place of peace and, and, and quiet. And I, I never had to worry about, you know, my, my older years, not because I was making a lot of money, because simply it's not in any Portuguese system. You know, it's not in our mind to worry about what am I going to do when I'm 80? Because you know that, in a sense, your dignity will be provided for by the state. And even if you find a fall gravely ill, somebody will take care of you. So that's so it provides you with a peace of mind that I know of no other system that can do that, you know. And of course, that's not exclusive to Portugal, same thing in Spain, same thing in France, same thing in Belgium, Holland, you name it. You know, it's the, almost the same thing in Europe. But that's why also I think Europe does have the, the, the highest possible degree of civilization that man has ever attained. I think that is to be found in Europe and not outside of it. But again, it's a matter of opinion. Yeah. Okay, Ricardo, this is the part that you usually struggle with at the end when I say I'm going to let you call it and you say that's, that's a wrap. A wrap. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Neil. It's All always a pleasure. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. So thank you once again to Ricardo and thank you to all of you for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends, give us a thumbs up and please leave a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And as we say in Portugal, Boas Festas, welcome to the simple life.